Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we have a couple of exciting things. Number one, it's season three of The Bad Batch. And number two, you might have noticed we have a new Sky Talkers theme. <laughs> new theme. <laughs> new theme. It's been seven years oh and we gosh. have a new theme. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's bespoke. Like it's bespoke. It's, <laughs> it's bespoke. Um the extremely, extremely talented Christy Carew worked with us to create a brand new theme that's reminiscent of our old theme, but made just for us. And we're really, 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 really excited about it. It's so beautiful. We'll, you'll hear an extended version at the end of the episode, so definitely stick around to listen to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When we first heard it, I was like, this is immediately great. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. I We've been talking about getting a new theme for, uh, honestly, a couple of years now, but I've always been very hesitant because I love Harrisaurs so much, and it just... Uh, to me, it's like, it's Harrisaurs, but it's like Skytalkersaurs. <laughs> I was like very nervous to like start this process of a new a new theme for us but I I love what Christy was able to create it feels like very sky talkers um it still has the like essence of what we both loved about Harrisaurs but like Charlotte said it's it's bespoke it's for us I'm very excited so I hope you guys I hope you guys like it too let us know what you think we're super excited um Christy is so talented she's worked with other podcasters too in the Star Wars space so you've definitely heard her work before and we're so excited to like have her be a part of sky talkers now yeah huge fangirls so it's just a real huge honor to work with christy mm-hmm. for this it's so cool you know our theme is composed for us by a woman i mean it's so perfect it's just fantastic mm-hmm. i'm really excited yes yeah so okay yeah hope you guys like it we're really excited and the timing worked out so perfectly that the theme was ready to uh debut with uh with the debut of season three of the bad batch so it feels it feels meant to be so we're really excited anyway we are here to discuss the premiere three episodes of the last season which i'm crying um of the bad batch i can't believe these past first off the Bad Batch has just been an amazing journey for animation and Star Wars. And it's just been so fun for Caitlin and I to cover the whole thing on the podcast and just experience this next era of Star Wars animation. And I know it feels that way too for a lot of those listening. And I just can't believe this is the last season. And man, we started with a bang. So just an FYI, we did receive screeners, so advanced viewing of these episodes, particularly the first eight episodes, we are very dedicated to making sure that these episodes are evergreen and also contain speculation, but to a limit. So just an FYI, we've seen eight episodes. Um, so that's almost half of this, <laughs> this first, uh, these first three. So, um, and pretty soon also I'll post a graphic on our social media about what episodes, like the schedule for our Sky Talkers episodes, because we do have that all ironed out, just like we did last season, actually, which is we cover episodes in groups. Um, and we're going to do that again this season because it worked out really well for us and it allowed us to talk about things in arcs and um, just episodes together. And I know we, we have a lot to say about these first three episodes. So yeah, I'm very eager to talk about it. 
Yeah, me too. And uh, just to note on the screeners, this is we've been lucky enough to receive screeners last season and then also for other Star Wars shows too that have come out recently. So you guys know we try really hard not to give any spoilers because we don't follow spoilers either. So we're not going to give them out at all. So just so you know. And yeah, the schedule for our recording um, that we did last season for Bad Batch and then also for Ahsoka, um, even though that was a little different because it was during the recorded in the void <laughs> during the strike. Um, so we'll be doing a similar kind of setup to that. So definitely check out our Instagram uh, to see what that schedule is. But it basically works out to like every basically every two episodes. There's some fluctuation in that, but essentially every two episodes. Um, we also did get to do roundtable interviews with um, Jennifer Corbett, Brad Rao, and Michelle Ong um, to last week, two weeks ago. Now at this point, um, Charlotte was actually out in Japan very exciting. Mm -hmm. And so it was just me. <laughs> it was just me. <laughs> and she did a great job. It was perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I was very nervous. Um, anyway, th that is up too on our feed. So you can go and listen to those as well. Yeah, it was so it's it's great. It was a great set of interviews and our other participants in the roundtables also had amazing questions. Mm -hmm. So after you've seen these episodes and listened to this, if you haven't listened to the roundtable interviews, definitely do that because there's a lot of insight, a lot of thematic discussions, mm -hmm. talks about music and things like that. It was really insightful as usual with these creators and voice actors. It was awesome. Yeah, it was very good. I think that's everything for like our housekeeping at the top of the show, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, like Charlotte mentioned, this is the premiere of season three of The Bad Batch. We both are such huge fans of The Bad Batch, but this is the last season. And there's definitely a bittersweetness there. You know, all good things must come to an end. But I think before we dive into season three, we should do a very, very brief recap of where we left off in season two, which in typical Star Wars fashion, it was a lot of hashtag Star Wars is tragedy at the end of season yes. two in yes. kind of the biggest way. I think the biggest thing, of course, is we lost we lost tech. Um, we had Omega sacrificing herself to Dr. Hemlock in order to save Hunter and Wrecker. And now she's at Mount Tantis as a prisoner. And then we've, you know, the other big thing that is definitely explored in these first three episodes is the clone testing and experiments on Mount Tantis. And we really pick off or pick up uh, right where we left off um, at the beginning of season three. So this these first three episodes, I'm so glad that they decided to group them together because we've seen Star Wars do like a two episode premiere. And I think if they had just done episodes one and two of of season three, I think they would have been great. But I think having season three, because of course, or uh, episode three, at the end of episode three, Crosshair and Omega escape. And I think that's such like a great way to kind of section off the premiere of season three. I'm really glad they decided to do all three episodes. If they just did the first, I think it would also be okay. Mm -hmm. But if they did just one and two, I don't think that would work because later in the season, there are, there's a, pa a paired set of episodes a couple times, like the mid season and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see how those are going to work. Cause we actually haven't seen those yet. And I feel like, um, you can tell like it thematically makes sense that these three were together. Yeah. It's nice to have that, you know, like episode one is Crosshair and Omega. Then episode two is Hunter and Wrecker. 
And then we go mm-hmm. back to episode three with Crosshair and Omega. It's just, it's a good pattern and it's nice to not have to leave. Like I know we we haven't seen what comes next for Hunter and Wrecker in this show yet, but I like honestly Crosshair and Omega is where the drama is of them being mm-hmm. on Mount Santis. So I think if we had had to um, kind of leave off with Hunter and Wrecker, I would have been so antsy <laughs> for the next to like get back to Crosshair and Omega. So I'm really glad that they did the kind of that whole story. Also, the fact that they got out of Mount Tantus so early in the season, that really could have been like the entire season of escape of Hunter and Wrecker trying True. to get there, searching the galaxy for them. You know what I mean? Um, they're not. I sort of expected that, honestly. Right? Because it feels like everything is kind of pointing back to Mount Tantus, but we left it <laughs> really early in the season. Uh, <laughs> but I think that was such a, a smart decision. I think it just means that there's so much that's jam-packed into this season. The fact that we're kind of like that was the big thing, right, of season two finale of that of you know now um, we heard about Mount Tantus all throughout season two, um, and you know it's it, the way that it was developed as you know it's this a mountain prison with Doctor Hemlock who, by the by, is just so I just want to slap him. He's so awful. <laughs> I can't stand him. I the way his the way he talks like his cadence of his voice. I'm just like I cannot stand you. you you need to leave he's awful he's <laughs> so awful he's such a good star wars villain um because mm-hmm. he's also like just a guy that's the mm-hmm. other thing about him that makes yeah. him a good villain is he's just a guy who wants power but he's not cartoonishly villainish no honestly and i just i know there's so much up his sleeve and things that we don't know yet. No, I totally agree. We'll talk a little bit more about Dr. Hemlock because he definitely has some standout moments in episodes one and three. But yeah, anyway, you know, we can dive into episode one, but I'm just, I'm really glad that we kind of so quickly got the the escape. It could have been an escape, could have been a rescue. Like they, that, that's the way it would have played, right? In the show as either Omega escaping or Hunter and Wrecker rescuing her. But it's so great that it was an escape that Omega engineered. Kind of. (laughs) Yes. So episode one is called Confined, and it was directed by Saul Ruiz, and it was written by Jennifer Corbett. And I feel like this, the tone of this episode is such an amazing beginning to the season because it sets up a darker, sinister, melancholy tone. It really uh, zeroes in on the monotony of what's happening in this lab. And I think that the, the use of the the music by the Kiners and also just the sound design. The fact that the the color palette of this episode two is very gray, very dark, very rainy. I think immediately we are like Omega is in a place that isn't ever going to help her. She has to escape. And I feel like the way that they use the centrifuge of the the blood draw in the fact that it looks like a clock. I mean, it was just wild. The sound design of that and the way that that's so chilling of the passage of time throughout both episode one, two, and three, honestly, of, wow, a lot of time has passed. There's a lot of monotony happening here. I wonder how Omega and Crosshair are going to figure out how to leave this area. Yeah, even with like the dripping of the water in her sink, yes. um, that they talked about that actually in the roundtables, which was a great question. I think the rain too on Mount Tantus when we open up, obviously to me felt very reminiscent of Camino. 
and how that was a prison for Omega as well. And now she's kind of back in a prison. And there's that great line from Crosshair at the end of season three where they're about to escape when Emery tries to stop them. And she's like, you can go back to your room. And Crosshair is like, oh, you mean her cell? Like, this is a prison. You can't. No, <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think the monotony of time was so well done in this first episode. You said um, use the word melancholy for this episode. And I think that's like the best descriptor of it. I remember finishing the first episode and thinking, oh, my God, like this is so sad. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they, they just feel so hopeless. And we know that they're so hidden in the galaxy that it is just such a huge like how are they going to get out? How are they going to do this? And I know that Omega is not going to leave Crosshair in this situation. Um, but I think, and I mean, we have to talk about the scratches on the wall. Um, there's such a, a direct callback to Ray in the Latin, uh, The Force Awakens. And when they, when they first did it, or when we first had the scene, I literally said, okay, it's only been like two weeks or something like that. And then the next scene, you just see the whole wall covered. And I I was like, oh, oh no. And she's got the little the ponytail. New hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, which I love. I do. Love it. I love the new hairstyle. But that just the the showcase of time was really well done. And then even I in episode two, Hunter alluding to the fact that Omega's been waiting for them for a long time. And this was something we talked about. People were talking about with the trailer, because I think that line is in the trailer of just, okay, how long has it been? And for them to actually show us that it's been months to the point, you know, where Omega is, is growing her hair into a ponytail, you know, but everything is the same. She's getting the blood taken. We've got that scene of her in crosshair crossing in the hallway um, a couple of times throughout these episodes. I think it's just really well done to kind of show the hopelessness. But then, of course, for Omega, she's always going to be someone who is looking for the silver lining, looking for the way out. Um, and also just looking to make friends. And we see that, of course, with Batcher, which <laughs> new favorite pet, Star Wars pet, <laughs> is Batcher. Uh -huh. And yeah, she's, you know, she takes a liking to him and feeds him, I guess, chicken nuggets. Hilarious. Iconic. <laughs> it's just. That just feels so like that is Omega that even in this really hopeless situation, she has found someone to care about and to help and to to show compassion for and to love in the form of Batcher. And we've seen Omega in the past couple of seasons have relationships with animals, very honestly, in a similar way to Ezra um, from Rebels. I feel like she's always had a connection, always and, and always kind of cares about animals, even if it's not the same kind of forcey connection that Ezra has. Although, Although <laughs> it could it be. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that kindness towards animals is sort of shorthand for kindness of a like mm -hmm. a person's soul. Yeah. So yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head. I mean, it could be, but it's. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of the reason why it seems like Omega shows kindness towards everyone, even Emery, even mm -hmm. like honestly, she gives the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. To the point where. Crosshair kind of calls her out on it. Like, you don't need to trust everyone. Not all clones are your friends. And I think that's proven true at the end of episode three with Emery. But at the same time, there's still some vagueness there of not all people are all good and all bad. And 
obviously, I think that's the lesson of Star Wars, but I'm not sure if I believe that fully about freaking Dr. Hemlock. So yeah, well, okay. <laughs> whether or not I believe it is different than whether the story believes <laughs> what it. Though, do you so. think, what do you think about Emery in these episodes? Because I don't know. I know. I don't know. Because the thing is, though, I was so Sid's going to have a redemption arc and you were very much like, no, she's not. And she didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's not the story's not over yet. I mean, so that's, I don't know. That's true. But Emery in these episodes was really keeping me guessing because, you know, at the end of season two, she tells she drops its bombshell on Omega that she's also a clone. And of course, we haven't seen another female clone, really. Um, so that was huge. And then, uh, you know, she's the one who's, you know, in charge of Omega, it feels like. But then we see her taking her blood. Um, there's this thing between Omega and Emery in these episodes where Omega is always asking questions and Emery, you know, point blank says, if I need to know it, Hemlock will tell me. I don't need to question anything, really. And Omega's like, what kind of life is that? Whoa, okay. <laughs> Although I do think it's funny that Omega never really questions why Emery is taking her blood, um, even after she sees Nala say destroy her samples. I, I don't think it's until season or episode three where she's like, oh, is that why you're destroying my blood samples? Right. I'm like, Omega. It's kind of weird that she didn't think about that, but I know. it's okay. Omega. She's a kid. It's okay. Omega. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I do like this comparison between Omega and Emery as far as, you know, the both being girls in this story and how um, they are operating differently. And also like kind of how they've been raised too. Like Omega now having spent time with the Bad Batch, she is independent. She's going to ask questions. She's going to seek out a different path. Whereas Emery is, um, she can't see another way out. Although she, she brings this, and this is the part that is, has me second guessing Emery, right? When she brings back the Lula doll, the handmade Lula doll to Omega, um, I think in episode three, that's when I was like, what do I, what do I do with you, Emery? What do I do? I know. I know. Also the homemade Lula doll. I can't, it was so cute. I, the Lulu doll doing so much emotional heavy lifting in these episodes. Throughout all seasons. <laughs> honestly, throughout all seasons. Truly. With, <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do we know that Emery is a clone of Django Fett? I don't think we do, but I would assume so if she... I guess there could be another... Why does she have a last name? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is, I just like... I, I don't expect you to have the answers, <laughs> but I just feel like I I feel like there's something there that's different about her than Omega. I don't know how, I don't know in what way, but I think that she feels a connection towards Hemlock that makes me think weird. Th- I don't I don't know. I, I'm like, is she is she a clone of Hemlock? Oh, and that's why she's there. This is a off the wall theory, okay? I don't I don't have any that basis is some of wild it. I just I don't know why she has a last name and that feels weird to me unless she had a relationship with and I mean relationship in like the broadest sense, a relationship with Hemlock that she feels a loyalty to Hemlock um somehow to stay there, but then understands that they have they brought a child in as a prisoner and that's why she gives back the doll. But we've seen, we know the Empire is testing on children in episode two when we've got the teenage clones. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, or I guess there's a chance that Emery could have seen what 
like what was happening to them before she ended up on Mount Tantus. And there's definitely still a lot of question marks with Emery. Um, even at the end of episode three, when Omega still is, you know, telling her like, you're a clone, we're sisters, come with us. And, and, like you said, Omega still wants to give her the benefit of the doubt and Emery declines it. Yeah. I just don't know what to think about it. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a, there's something really there that I think we'll get into when it comes to discovering more about Dr. Hemlock and what the heck is really truly happening on Mount Tantus when it comes to the M count, which oh, we all know is the midichlorians, right? Like we all know that. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> and uh, do you think they're actually going to use the word midichlorian ever? I think they again? might at the, I think they might at the end. I think that this is like a, at this point in the show, I think it's become like the fact that it's like a scientific thing now, like it's outside mm-hmm. of the Jedi's hands. So it's an M count. It's something quantifiable in a scientific way, which we've talked Correct. about with the Jedi too and like the Phantom Menace and part of like their whole shift. But I think they probably will at some point, but it makes sense for like the scientists to abbreviate it too. And also for the story perspective, because we all know what it is, but they're not going to say it. But like we we all know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think, do we think, and maybe I'm. this is me misunderstanding and I just maybe need clarity. Do we think that the M count, them being after figuring out the M count is connected and directly to Project ne- Necromancer? Are those two aligned? Are they the same thing or are they two different things? Oh, that's what I don't know. Because if we want to skip ahead to episode three, uh-huh. uh, where Palpatine arrives. Um, These are the quotes we have. So uh, Hemlock tells Palpatine they like go to a special part of Mount Tantus and Hemlock says, as you can see, the specimens are well guarded to ensure they remain viable for testing. I'm confident that we have a successful, that we will have a successful M count replication. So that implies cloning, right? And then Palpatine says, there's nothing of greater importance to secure the future of this empire. And then what's the, and then they mention, pro, I don't think I have the exact quote where they mention, they just say Project Necromancer. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, I think maybe they're different, but one has to work I think in they're order different, for the other. Yeah, exactly. I think they're sort of in sequence yeah. of the research has to continue on the M count when it comes to cloning, but Project Necromancer is like the next step of my thought is, I mean, you can't really get more obvious than the name necromancer, right? <laughs> that they're reviving something from the dead with new blood, new life, something like that, right? Um, also, it needs to be noted that Project Necromancer is mentioned in season three of The Mandalorian by Brendel Hux. Mm. And so basically this has been, this project has been a thing <laughs> for like 30 years at that point, if I'm doing my math correctly, maybe 20 years, I I'm losing track of the Star Wars timeline if I'm being real. And as per usual for us. Yeah, as per usual. But as I would expect it to, because I think that this directly relates to Palpatine coming back to life through cloning, which we saw in the Rise of Skywalker, as it was express, explicitly saying cloning, right? So I feel like all of that is related, but the question is how. And I think the Bad Batch might get closer than the Mandalorian is going to. Because I think that all is related, right? Like Mm -hmm. even why they're after Grogu, the fact that Grogu is a Force-sensitive 
very exclusive Yoda child, right? Very ex- <laughs> um, he's like a shiny Pokemon. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't, I don't know. He's special, right? And so I think that all of this is related and we were entering this era of storytelling, which we've been in for a while, by the way. We've been in since 2019, maybe before this, mm-hmm. of exploring let's be honest we've been following this story since season two of clone wars with holocron heist when palpatine steals the holocron of the four sensitive babies and starts stealing the four sensitive babies absolutely we've been in this for a long time i was i would even go further back to we opened this can of worms in 2002 with attack the clones like that's that's what we're doing and it's already shifty it was shifty the moment obi-wan arrived on the secret planet camino true so I think that we've been exploring this for a while. Even Palpatine saying um, the ability to cheat death is a power Few only have. one can achieve. But if we work together, we can discover its secrets, right? Like that's what we're leading to. It's always been leading to this. And I I stand by, no matter my feelings about the Rise of Skywalker, I do stand by that like, yeah, Palpatine coming back from mysterious origin makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we've been leading here for a while. So, or there's enough evidence to support that. Whether or not we've been leading here for a while can be argued, but <laughs> there's enough parts story of evidence. It can be argued. <laughs> then, yes, it, it can, it works. Okay. Yeah. Like, it, whether or not it was executed properly is a different story. Um, anyway, all that said, I think that the M count, Project Nec- Necromancer are all together, but obviously, it's interesting if Brendel Hux takes over this project later during the first order, are we to believe that nothing really like how, how much progress is made on Mount Tantus and are they still using Mount Tantus in the Mandalorian era? Is Grogu on Mount, Mount Tantus? Like what are we going to see I don't know. in behind those doors? I don't know if I want that, but um, no. even just the Zillow beast last season really got the wheels turning. I mean, I think the episode that we recorded on that was really insane and similar conversation that we're having right now mm-hmm. about cloning and force sensitivity and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. they Well, on that front, on the Zillow Beast front, Hemlock also mentioned, quote, exotic matter facilities providing alteration for testing a much larger assets and mm-hmm. gets larger than a Zillow Beast. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of things happening and, and even in season or episode I keep saying season or a purgle yeah a purgle will be hard to I mean a purgle is bigger than a Zillow beast but I don't know how you'd get a purgle into like a testing facility yeah you can but I'm sure I mean, the can't. Empire has can't. tried uh, or yeah. we'll see that story <laughs> uh, talking about the Empire testing and things like that and exotic matter facilities in episode 2 we see the slither vines which if if there's not a High Republic connection there with the Drengear that the Empire has unearthed from the Jedi archives <laughs> about the Drengear and sentient evil plants right like you thought of the Drengear when we saw the slither vines right I kind of didn't, and oh. I feel stupid for not. Okay. But because I was so in my head about the Jurassic Park connections mm-hmm. to episode two, I was like, oh, these are like – I was trying to I was trying to relate it to Jurassic Park. Okay. Yeah. See, I was in Star But Wars. obviously, it's very, very clearly <laughs> – yeah, good. You should be because that's should, a much better both. connection We've got than balance. I was I want to mention that it, since I just brought up Jurassic Park, like what we're talking about in terms of scientific experiments and things like that is very Jurassic mm-hmm. Park-y. Yeah. And – very much like even talking about the exotic animals or whatever exotic species like that is 
Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. It is taking DNA and replicating it and watching it evolve and trying to change it um, to your specifications. But the whole point of Jurassic Park is that's not you can't, you can't do that yeah. because life finds a way. You can't control nature. And exactly. So I I think that we're heading in a similar direction. And I think tonally in the beginning of episode two, Paths Unknown, and I was like, oh, this is just like Jurassic Park 3 and the Lost World and this whole like uh, even them looking over the cliff cliff into this uh, deserted facility. It was straight out of Jurassic Park 3. And I was like, this is we're supposed to think about those relationships, especially since ILM worked so hard on all those movies. So, yeah, that was just my tirade about the science base <laughs> of it. Yeah, and that and goes, relationship. That that's exactly what I was going to say too. And in, in in the episode, they talk about how the Empire was the one who developed. They created the Slither Vines, and now the mm-hmm. Slither Vines have you know taken over the planet. I will say too that that shot you're talking about, where they're overlooking, um, it also reminded me of the shot in Andor when it's one of the flashback shots with Andor and his younger sister, where they like round mm-hmm. the bend and they see the remnants of the Imperial facility or um, like the. A mining. Yeah, something like yeah. that. It, that felt very reminiscent of that shot to me too. Um, that's what I thought of. So totally. I think there's there's always this like theme in Star Wars of the destruction that these evil organizations. Industries. Yeah, and yeah. industries are doing on these planets, you know, the, the machine versus nature. And that's a constant theme in Star Wars. So we've got Absolutely. that. Lastly, I think if we're, you know, talking about the Empire and experimentation and Hemlock and all of that and the force sensitiveness of Omega, this is something we've talked about a lot with Omega's character of her being a force sensitive clone. And of course, that would be what Palpatine would want. Ultimately, a force sensitive army that you can brainwash and control via chips, right? I'm not sure if like what we were talking about with Project Necromancer, if that's entirely where we're headed. I still think that's a possibility. But they mention, you know, at the end of episode three, Shadows of Tantus, Emery tells Hemlock, quote, the clone sample supported a positive M count transfer with no degradation from the specimen, meaning they put midichlorians into Omega. So she doesn't have them now, right? No, I think she does have them now. And she gave them to someone else. Like her, I don't know. Her midichlorians were able to be transferred into someone else. Yeah, because they took her no. blood. No, I my understanding was her blood had her blood was her blood from cloning Jenko Fat. Yeah. Okay. And their alterations that they did on her. Okay. Then they added another person's blood or like the siphoning of midi chlorians somehow, mm-hmm. added it to her blood, and that worked to remain there versus being like filtered out, I guess. That's sort of what I thought. Because when he when Hem, Hemlock talks about like the success of it is if it can remain and then if it can continue to like be built up by adding more. Yeah, I think. Right? Yeah, no, I think that's what I meant. Of like they put midi chlorines into her and they yeah are so this is a valuable conversation because I think there's some spe- there's some vagueness that's happening in these three episodes that needs some clarification and it's vagueness by default mm-hmm. in terms of the story which I understand yeah but. Because I think the main takeaway is like, oh, we're talking about the force here and like quantifying the force in into a super soldier eventually, yeah. right? And 
that's what's happening here. But in terms of the specifics, I think that they're a little dodgy on the what's happening. Yeah. You know, as far as whether she's giving or taking many chlorines. Mm-hmm. But if we, you know, if we think about the force in the way that it was explored in the show Ahsoka with Sabine, right? And how they've always talked about it, honestly. Everyone has the force. It's just to what degree. So therefore, everyone would have midichlorians, right? It's just the degree to which you can tap into it, essentially. So I don't know. I think there's there's definitely a lot here. And I'm always reminded of, it's like episode one or two of season one, where Omega is having that conversation with Crosshair. And she tells him, I know what you're going to do, but don't do it. And it's essentially mm-hmm. about like him praying them or whatever. And that always, that's always been the thing I go back to when thinking about Force-sensitive Omega, that she just had this sense of what this feeling of what Crosshair was going to do. And maybe that was the Force. Maybe it's because she knew about the chips and what was happening with the clones and all of that. Um, and the fact that he couldn't, like, he couldn't fight against it at that point in the story. You know, but I always, I always go back to that scene because it's like just her and him. And she's like, I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. And it just feels so forcey to me or feels like, I don't know. Yeah, it feels forcey to me. So I'm very excited to see where this goes. And, you know, if anything definitive is actually revealed about any kind of relationship Omega has to the force in comparison to like our, our traditional kind of understanding of it with the Jedi. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, I also have one last thing actually to say about all this since I feel like we might not come back to it. In the mm-hmm. conversation of Palpatine and Hemlock and Hemlock as a villain, Palpatine essentially gives Hemlock a blank check for this project. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know anyone else in the Star Wars universe who has kind it's of... because it's personal to him. Yeah. It's personal exactly. to him. It's his contingency plan mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Even if people right now cannot see that, they think it's a, like I said, a super soldier initiative. Yeah. But for Palpatine, it's like all he does is chase ways Immortality. to... Yes. It is just so scary to think about him. I don't want to... I don't think Hemlock has control over Palpatine, right? But no. he definitely like there's I don't think there's many people in Palpatine's circle that he gives th- this blank check to, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't even say he gives it to Vader in some ways. <laughs> Not at all. I don't um, think so. It's it's kind of it's I remember when he said that and I was like, geez, that's that's a lot. Like <laughs> well thematically, like the moment Darth Vader was put in this really oppressive mm-hmm. suit is the moment that there would never be a blank check type for of exploration Vader. yeah for Vader yeah ever and that's kind of part of the tragedy but at the same time we know that <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> we know that uh Hemlock there's no way this guy's gonna survive the end of the empire <laughs> like well, there's no way I, was I don't thinking, I was thinking um how crazy because right we think about the mandalorian we've got a character like dr pershing and the mandalorian which mm-hmm. is involved here somewhere too you know in in all of this with uh with mount tantus and like these types of tests and things and so it definitely stands to reason that hemlock could still be in the picture at that point right and you're like there that wouldn't be a far jump but i'm also like okay how crazy would it be if the person that Palpatine gives a blank check to, like Hemlock, is someone who turns on him eventually. You know, I don't know. I just, 
I don't, that's, yeah. I think that would be wild. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> it would be crazy. But it, it's also, it could happen. So I don't know. Maybe I'm eating my words or will eat my words I think it, later. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there's so many possibilities. And the fact that we know both a lot and a little about what the Empire is doing between the Mandalorian, like on this front specifically between the Mandalorian and here in the Bad Batch, I think is such a fun like connection. Um, and I think that, I think that the Bad Batch has really excelled at like, they've spent more time here, obviously, like we're physically at Mount Tantus for a lot of the show, or we've been here a number of times, but I don't know, the villains in the Bad Batch are just so good between like Hemlock and then also Rampart. Remember Rampart? Hate that guy. Never forget. Hate that guy. <laughs> so much. There's so many villains I hate, actually. <laughs> How many times have I got on this mic and been like, I hate that guy. I hope he <laughs> dies. Like, that's terrible. <laughs> It's fiction, baby. But, you know, the Bad Batch like, has really excelled at the uh, horrible guys in the Empire. And even so even that that what, what was he that trooper or whoever in uh, the outpost episode where that finally breaks crosshair where he the guy he was in charge was like, yeah, just kill him. Like, yeah, we like Ugh, he was that guy. too. Oh, he was awful, too. <laughs> so bad. So bad. <laughs> I honestly think since Andor went no holds bar on evil in the empire it's not like star wars hasn't been like this for a while but i do sort of feel like it has been extreme fair game to really show how terrible the villains are Mm -hmm. in the empire yeah one comment i have and it's not really a negative or a positive is but i just think it's it's worth talking about because we have talked about it on the podcast before when it comes to the bad batch who do you think the audience for this television show is these days I think I think it's people. I don't know. I think it's. I think honestly, I think it's a really big audience because I think at yeah. this point, given the breadth of Star Wars animation, the fact that Lucasfilm as an entity knows that there is a huge adult audience from Clone Wars and Rebels, mm-hmm. and that it's not just going to be kids that watch the Bad Batch. I think there's mm-hmm. obviously like you have a character like Omega. It's, you know, roughly 20 to 30 minutes long. I think there's that structure and format that definitely puts it in a a quote unquote younger audience. But I think from a storytelling perspective, I really don't think that Lucasfilm approaches it quite that way for a show like maybe it did like with Resistance or even like the first couple of seasons of The Clone Wars. I think they just know Lucasfilm knows that the audience is all ages. And I think they play into that, especially when we have such huge connections to the Mandalorian as the Bad Batch does, I think, that you're you're gonna pull in audiences from there as well. Um mm-hmm. so I really don't think it comes I don't think it's as much a conversation of like age of audience that maybe it was. 10 years ago. I come to it from the perspective as a marketer Mm -hmm. and I see things like, okay, so how would Lucasfilm sell this show to Disney giving the green light to it? And I think that it definitely comes from what you just said of huge audience of people who follow the Clone Wars and Rebels and Star Wars animation as a whole and love the clones and like look at the numbers from season seven when we revived the the Clone Wars and here's the first four episodes are about the Bad Batch and Mm -hmm. let's make a whole show about the Bad Batch. Like for me, like all of that makes sense. But I'm like, I don't, I think we've moved far away from the Bad Batch being a quote unquote kid show. And I really do think it's a teenage show and beyond. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think that 
Star Wars or Disney rather, I don't think Star Wars has this problem at all. I think Disney doesn't know what to do with the show because there's nothing in terms of marketing. There's nothing um, like it in its repertoire of shows on Disney Plus because of the age difference and also the fan base that comes with it too. It's like a huge beast. And I think it's just interesting. I was watching that for this first episode and I was feeling so grateful because I felt like every time I watch a recent like Star Wars animation project, I'm like, I am the target audience for this. <laughs> I I just, I feel like I'm the target audience and I love that. But then I wonder, I'm like, okay, so when we talk about George Lucas's goal of starting Lucasfilm animation and creating the Clone Wars and things like that, and it's really to tell these complicated, complex stories that are expensive and target them for kids and families. I'm like, is the Bad Batch actually doing that? I don't know. I don't have a family. I'm not a kid. So I have no idea <laughs> if... Um, I don't have a family. <laughs> I, I, well, I just don't know if like this is a show that is... Because I, I get the sense that this season is more adult than season one was. I think season two had some episodes that were so... Um, experimental in a lot of ways and I felt like this ep episode one of season three is also experimental mm -hmm. in a way where it is just really melancholic and it just felt feels um like we're going on a darker journey um than we were in season one and I'm not not saying that it wasn't like that I just I I just think it's interesting in this era and I just wanted to call it out it's in this era of Star Wars animation is the have we moved past the goal of Lucasfilm Animation creating shows for fully kids in mind, or are we in an era where it's teenage plus and well, that includes us and everything? And I, I think that's totally fine. I'm again, like I said, I'm not approaching this from a negative or a positive, but I think that's what we're at right now with this animation studio. Well, I think it's I think it's a challenge because and it's I think it's something that the like corporations are having to figure out and I don't think they're necessarily doing it very well when we're looking at like the big mm -hmm. picture because right like there's young Jedi adventures which is clearly <laughs> for <laughs> young children right and it's very clearly marketed to that but Bad Batch and kind of all of Star Wars animation has been a little bit more nebulous especially as it's grown an audience over the years but then it's not like Disney is asking the question of okay do we advertise for Bad Batch on the Disney Channel or Disney XD, right? We had this conversation with Rebels about how Rebels was moved to Disney XD, which was the quote unquote, like boy Disney Channel kind of vibe. They don't have that question because it's all just going on to Disney Plus. And, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's just like this conversation has kind of reminded me of like the, honestly, like the failure of Willow and them pulling it off of Disney Plus without even like, kind of trying or just letting it live there for a while. Yeah. Whereas with Star Wars and with something like the Bad Batch, like we've been talking about, they know that there is already an audience there. But like that's lucky for Star Wars, right? Because it knows that there's mm -hmm. a built-in audience that will at least support two seasons of a show. But like I think we're seeing this conversation with marketing and the challenge for something that's even more experimental, like we kind of saw with Willow, or like we did see with Willow that just didn't feel like it got the time. So 
what would be the like I guess what would be the risk of something more experimental within the Star Wars franchise would it get more of a chance to just kind of be put on Disney plus knowing that there's not like that traditional marketing behind it I don't really think I'm making sense with this like what the marketing soup has become in my head with streaming but I do think it's interesting that there's not kind of those traditional like how Clone Wars and Rebels were marketed um, on specific Mm -hmm. channels and things like that, whereas we're just kind of putting Bad Batch on Disney+. Plus, But it has a built-in audience that they Mm -hmm. already know is going to be there for it, unlike a show like Willow, as as an example. I think there's pros and cons for all of this. I agree. And I think that in the beginning of the Disney Plus streaming era with Star Wars, it was like, this is so great because we're going to get all these different types of shows that are targeted for different people Mm -hmm. and like they don't have to hit the minimums of like the Nielsen ratings on television there's none of that it's all going to be like art for art's sake yeah I think that's what we thought it was going to be and I think that most people were talking about it that way and I think that was really optimistic and I think it's still like that like I don't think that we it's not it's not it's not not like that right like I think that we have more Star Wars shows than we ever would have had on television. And that's a fact, right? Um, And I think that I don't know if the Bad Batch, as it is right now, would have existed on Disney XD. It could have, but I can't say that for sure. Um, Yeah. And because of that, I think the audience has kind of shifted a little bit for it, which is good because the Disney XD audience was so narrow to -hmm. begin with. And I... I think the very brief conversations that we've heard Dave Filoni have about the urgency to change the way that the credits are thrown at the end of certain Rebels episodes leads me to believe that there are, like the example, if you're not aware, Dave Filoni, there's a couple of episodes in Rebels where he didn't want the Rebels theme to play at the end of the credits rolling because he felt like the episode was too intense for an upbeat theme well this this started with the ahsoka leaves arc he had to fight exactly that ending yeah. in clone wars yes uh-huh exactly on cartoon network and so i think that this sort of fight there about working with the networks like you don't have to do that at all you can do anything experimental really when it comes to tone on a disney streaming service and bad batch i think is doing that really well and just to get back to bad batch a little bit i think that as I worry and I stress a little bit about the future of Lucasfilm animation, I'm trying to like formulate it in my head where I'm like, okay, Lucasfilm animation, the audience, if Disney wants to think about it, can we craft this? So the audience is t- teenagers. Like, is this their animation house that is more like teenagers plus? It's more like adult-ish, but in a different storytelling sense because it's obviously not adult animation. I feel like that has like a different connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I just, I worry a little bit about, which we've been vocal on the show about, like, the future of Lucasfilm Animation, aka our favorite thing that Star Wars does. And I think that it's like, okay, we got, we got to, how are we, what's the future? Because <laughs> this I is mean, the last season and I'm stressed about it. I am too. And I think this conversation of, like, experimentation and streaming is true to a larger degree within the Star Wars franchise than outside of it. Um because of that built-in audience, because we've seen many, many shows like canceled before their, you know, season two or whatever. So I think, I think this is like a weird conversation because Star Wars is its own entity in a similar way to something like Marvel too, of like, there's so many TV shows and things happening. But um, yeah, I know, I know what you mean about like, what are they thinking as far as what's next? 
And there has to be something that's coming next for Star Wars animation. I mean, we know that Young Jedi Adventures, but that's not done through. That's not Lucasfilm animation. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little... and we get we're getting Tales of the Jedi season two. Yeah, exactly. But we still don't have kind of any information on that yet, aside from the fact that it's happening. Um, so I don't know what's next, but I think that I think that Bad Batch has. I think the lead up to season three was extremely well done or well received online as far like they did the premiere in San Francisco. Um, the, I think the Star Wars like social media account has done a really good job of interacting with people about Bad Batch. Totally. I, I don't know. I just feel like this season has been received really well online so far and like the marketing for it that I can't imagine that Lucasfilm wouldn't push for another animated show and i think that there's i think they're so successful that i can't like i can't see disney disney plus not wanting to do the next animated project i don't know i'm with you like it, it does stress me out to think like okay is it are tales of the jedi the only thing <laughs> coming down the pipeline and i feel like i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say no and that it might be a while before we find out but by a while i think like celebration next year mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we just it still feels like a long time mm -hmm. but uh we've waited longer in star wars for things to come so about <laughs> so yeah. i don't know this is definitely a uh a, a rabbit uh rabbit hole that we've dug ourselves tangent. yeah a tangent that we've yeah i went just off I, on. I, I sorry about that i just feel like all this to say i think i'm so appreciative of the experimental tones that season two had and mm -hmm. season three um, of the Bad Batch. And I'm very grateful that we're on a streaming service where those experimental tones aren't a risk for ratings. And I just hope that the audience is very clear and defined. And I have no knowledge of that. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit. Um, okay. Just to go back to the story a little bit, I had a note that you had made about 30 minutes ago that I wanted to come back on because I think it's important. Um, you said that episode one ended on a note of hopelessness and that we needed episode three to kind of bring us back to the grounding of Star Wars hopefulness. And, and so that it makes sense that there was a package of episodes one, two, and three together during this premiere. And I, I agree with that. I just kind of want to push back on that because I think that there's something that's happening at the end of episode one called Confined that plays with our emotions of hopefulness and hopelessness and sort of like glass half full, glass half empty type of vibes. So obviously during this episode, Omega lets um, Basher, the Lurker Hound, go. And then Hemlock taunts her and says that, don't you know that these hounds are going to be eaten by even more ferocious creatures mm -hmm. in the forest. Like he's not safe. Like you just doomed him to his death. Everywhere outside is unsafe. Yeah. Which I think thematically obviously goes to the fact that Omega is supposed to feel scared of leaving. But at the end, we see Omega looking outside to the moonlit sky and hearing a howling of a lurka hound. And we know because we see it, that that's Batcher howling. I think it even says it in the captions, right? And the howl itself sounds like sad and kind of weird. It's not like a wolf howl <laughs> at all. And I think that the point of that is, um, sorry. And then we see Omega look out the window and sort of not really know 
what that sound was because it could be a howl. It could be a cry for help. And she kind of doesn't know. Like, I think in the notes you said, it's so sad, Omega, at the end of the episode, hearing the lurker hounds outside and not knowing what happened to Botcher, thinking Hemlock might be right. And I was like, when I saw that note, I was like, but I think the point is that you can think about it is that the hope that things could be better because he's howling at the at the moon. But of course, we don't know that. We don't know if she knows that, but we know that as the audience. So I would say that it does end on a hopeful note. Um, but it's like playing with our emotions a little bit with the sound and the sound design and the music there. Um, so are we supposed to think like Omega and think that this is that there's hope around the corner or or are we supposed to think like Omega at this point where it's like, oh, no, she doomed Batcher to his death? Or are we supposed to think like, no, there's light, life can be sustained outside of Mount Tantus. And yeah, she could probably escape through Batcher's um, kennel thing eventually. I really appreciate your interpretation. I still don't know if I have it. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. But I think that the point is that I I think that it's okay that you have that interpretation. I just think that the point is it's supposed to be kind of vague. I do. And I do agree. The fact that like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Next. The fact that we see Batcher at the end of the episode, I do agree. I think is like, a, oh, well, he's there. She's there now. You know, like she's alive right now. And obviously – like it was better. And I think Omega even says this to Hemlock, like, okay, well now she has a chance, right? Like you would have definitely killed her here, but now she has a chance. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's hopefulness there. I think that when I'm, when thinking about this episode overall, I think, I think we are supposed to, I think the overwhelming feeling, maybe not, maybe overwhelming is not the right word, but the general theme is that confinement that hopelessness. Um, even we have the moment where Crosshair tells, like you mentioned earlier, Omega, that like you trust too easily. And I think, it, I think the moment with Hemlock at the end, um, because when I was watching it the first time, I remember thinking like, Omega is so brave. Look at her just standing up to Hemlock, who was literally so scary. <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, has no fears for him, which I think is incredible honestly. But then he's the one that knocks her down a couple pegs at the end when he's like, well, you know, there's another creature out there that's been killing all the Lurka hounds and you just sent Batcher to her death. Like, hope you're happy. And then even when she tries to one up him and says like, well, I know you're not going to hurt me because Analyse and blah, 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 blah. And Hemlock's like, yeah, you're so right, babe. But like I could hurt Crosshair instead. And mm -hmm. I know that'll hurt you. You know, like I think that I think that the point of this episode was to knock Omega down a couple of pegs as far as her confidence, um, where even like Crosshair is telling her that she trusts you easily. And my uh, my favorite moment in this episode was when is one the passage of time that is also shown with Crosshair and Omega's relationship of the first time that Omega is sitting outside his cell and he's just, you know don't talk to me. Don't, I don't want to talk to you. Leave. But then the next time we see them, they're actually having a conversation and Crosshair is reminding her like, come on, like, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be figuring out an escape, right? He's much more engaged with her the second time. And then after, um, they have like a little bit of an argument or just disagreement and she gets up to leave and he says, Omega, don't risk anything for me. I belong in here. And Omega says, none of us belong in here. And I, mm -hmm. I love that moment so much, but it happens before the hemlock thing where she's all chutzpah, right? And then hemlock, you know, tells her Batcher's going to die and that he's going to hurt Crosshair um, because of her. 
And then I think, I think her being back in the cell in her cell and looking out at the moon, right. I love, I love the environment of like the moon where the moon can either be like make a wish on a beautiful star. It's romantic. Or in this case, it's quite ominous. And there is that question mark to your point of seeing Batcher. But I think overall, it's supposed to end on a more somber note um, for Omega altogether. Like, wow, mm-hmm. I've been here for so long. And uh, like now, what have I got? Nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I think that's true. I just think that the the episode itself is playing with those emotions. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting that you came out of it with, oh, this is kind of hopeless. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is kind of hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's exactly what yeah. it was supposed to, supposed to happen. And I think that's the mark of really solid sound design, by the way, True. Yeah. in that that howl means a couple different things. Yeah, that's very true. Just, just like I thought that was cool, mm-hmm. honestly. Let's go back to Crosshair and Omega's relationship because okay, yeah. it is iconic, incredible. I'm obsessed. I just – I the only thing I'll say about the other episodes that we've seen is that the relationship continues and y'all will be very happy. <laughs> yeah. Because um, <laughs> yeah. it has completely overtaken my brain in a way that I never kind of expected. <laughs> and I think that we saw this in the trailer too and I remember thinking it was so great. But the shot of – I don't think we knew what scene it was, but it's the scene where – the first scene where Omega is talking to Crosshair at the cell and the shadows of – the cell create the pattern of crosshairs like face markings his tattoo on omega's face which a lot of people pointed out rightly so and i think is such good foreshadowing for the relationship that they're going to have this season and um like i said i think the the way that it grow they grow that relationship just in episode one is really impressive honestly um Given that the last time we saw Crosshair and Omega together was the end of season one, where they all have to escape Camino, and Crosshair and Omega have a moment there, but he's still they're still separated, right? And I just think that for Omega, it must be like so great to finally get to this point with Crosshair, especially in episode three, because like she's the one that's had this faith in him this whole time, right? She's she's that's the thing about Omega. She's so loyal. Like Crosshair says, she trusts to a fault, but she has always had faith that he is her brother. He loves, she loves him. He's important to her and he needs to come back home, you know? And yeah, she's been steadfast in that. Yeah. And I love, I love in episode three when we have the great escape and Crosshair is like, all right, like what's the plan? And she's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) This is the plan. (laughs) And the way that they just like immediately like figure it out together. And of course, when Crosshair, when they find out it's the emperor and Crosshair is like, it's you planned the day of our escape when the emperor is here. And she goes, I didn't know. Like it just keeps on going. And I, I don't know. I think there, it's really great to finally get to a point like we've seen, Omega's relationship grow with each member of the Bad Batch every season. So now to finally be here in season three and see it explored with Crosshair, I think is really special because it's very different than the rest of the Bad Batch. And I, again, I don't want to say too much, but you'll really see that explored um, in the upcoming mm-hmm. episodes. And it's it's really cool to see. And I, 
I really, I think it could give the Hunter and Omega relationship a run for its money, honestly. I think it already is. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think that what was really cool for me is to see Crosshair kind of go back to how he was during mm-hmm. his time with the Bad Batch. Like, he asking for the plan, um, the extremely cute moment where he asks about um, if he know if she knows plan, whatever, and she goes, yeah, tech made me memorize them, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, of course he did. Like, yeah. So sweet. Yeah. I think the other great moment for Crosshair and just seeing how quickly he's become like Ahsoka's other, Ahsoka, Omega's other big brother here <laughs> is when he said, like, when they finally get out and she's like, I don't know what to do next. Or like, I think we're going to get caught. And he says, you got us this far and we're not done yet. I think that's like the most optimistic thing I've ever heard <laughs> Crosshair say before. Yeah. yeah. There's a full change happening. Yeah, there is. And I think that's just, that's the Omega effect, right? And I've been rewatching The Bad Batch. I didn't finish, but I'm still in season one. But I'm reminded, like in episode one where they meet Omega, Hunter is the one who is very you know, um, hesitant to accept Omega into their group to even like let her sit with them at lunch, which don't forget that the premiere of Bad Batch involved a food fight in a cafeteria, which is just incredible. (laughs) (laughs) But he's the one that doesn't think that she should be a part of the team. And then, of course, she worms her way into all of their hearts, our hearts. And we see the same thing happening with Crosshair here, too. And I think that in episode one, that that passage of time and showing how their conversations have changed between the two scenes at Crosshair Cell, I think did a really good job of progressing that relationship and of him like believing and knowing that, of course, she wouldn't leave him if she got the chance to escape. Because in that first scene, right, he tells her, he's like, if I if I got the chance to escape, like, I would leave you. I wouldn't think twice about it. And she's so upset. She's like, you're lying. You wouldn't do that. But she leaves. Um, but the, of course, throughout the t- throughout their time on Mount Tantus, Crosshair knows that she wouldn't leave him. And she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so great. It really is. It's so good. <laughs> I don't think we've talked enough about episode two, Paths Unknown, which was directed mm-hmm. by Nate Villanueva and written by Matt Mikinovitz. Um I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I think there are two interesting things about this episode. One, we have Roland Durand, who is back with his mother, Issa Durand, who runs their syndicate, which, fun fact, Issa is played by Angelica Houston, who famously did the Sith Mother and Screechers Reach in Visions Volume 2, and she's back to very play cool. Issa. Very yes. cool. Um, that was very exciting to hear. Um, but I think this episode was great to show just how far Hunter and Wrecker are going to get information on Omega. I think they would have been hard pressed with where we left them in season two to do something for like the crime syndicates. They bring in one of the pikes. Like that seems pretty serious. (laughs) I think something I really enjoyed about this episode is that, um, we got to see, there's clearly been a passage of time, right? But it's, clear that Hunter is really going through it mm-hmm. in terms of um, his mental health, in terms of the fact that he lost Omega. And Wrecker is a really solid rock for Hunter. And I really appreciated that. Like you can see that throughout. It's very clear that Wrecker is 
the emotional guy who is there to support Hunter as he kind of lashes out at some points um, about the fact that he lost Omega. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very clear that they're going to stop at nothing. And bringing in the pikes, like... Honestly, the more Star Wars can bring up the pikes, I just feel like I I feel like I'm in the secret club of like, oh my god, the pikes are so awful type of vibes. Like every time the pikes are there, it's not they don't spend a lot of time being like they're so evil. Remember the pikes? Yeah, yeah the pikes are so evil. But when you know, you know, you know. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you've seen Solo, you know. But I think that well, that's there's... a conjure club. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I just I, um, I think of crime syndicates. I of course have to think. Yeah, of okay. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I was like, sorry. I, made, separate, I made that but, connection right. in my head. I didn't voice it out loud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I feel like um, so th- when we start here, like you said, and they've clearly done business with the Pikes again. It's like wow, they're desperate. Mm-hmm. Whoa, the desperation is reeking. They just are willing to put everything on the line, including standing on this very volatile platform that they could easily fall through. We like we just saw that. Um, in order to get one step closer to Omega. And they're they're far from it. Like, I feel like yeah. by the end of this, we know that they are closer than they were before, but it's been a while and they are still grasping at straws, basically. Mm-hmm. Needle in a haystack, big time. Yeah. 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 I was excited to see Roland again. I think that this was a great connection to season one because it's an episode where... Uh, it's we see him in the episode infested, which is when he loses one of his uh, horns on his head, but he has his pet Ruby. It's like a lizard armadillo thing. And of course, Ruby takes a liking to Omega <laughs> and they get um, Ruby, uh, Ruby, Omega and Roland end up getting locked together. It's the episode where they have to like Roland takes over Sid's office and then the Bad Batch have to like steal um, spice out from under Roland and sell it to the Pikes or get rid of it so that Roland can't pay the Pikes. It's like a whole thing. But I think the point is that Roland and Omega spend time together and they form a connection. Of course, Omega like (laughs) worms her way into his heart too. So I think that him coming back and having a role to play here is a good connection, honestly. And like how these little, um, connections that Omega and the Bad Batch have made throughout the past couple of seasons will probably come to help them in this final this final hurrah of season three. So I was glad it was someone that we knew. Uh, and I think it made sense too, like we we're talking about to show just how desperate Hunter and Wrecker are for any kind of lead on where Omega may have gone. And I think one of the other things we should kind of briefly talk about is the fact that we have these teenage clones on this planet. I think it's been a while since we've seen a clone of this age, but I really liked seeing them and being reminded that there is this whole population of kids who were trained to be soldiers who never got to be soldiers. And when we think about the question of a clone's identity and purpose and where they can find happiness in this world now that the thing that they were essentially brainwashed to do is gone. I think that's a really interesting question. And even more so, honestly, when we think about it in a teenager perspective, because that's that's a crazy time of life in general. And so to get to see these three clones, I thought was great. I hope we see them again. Fun fact, Daniel Logan plays one of them, but not all of them, which honestly feels a little weird to me that they had him play one but not all because isn't that the whole point <laughs> I think I think the only way I can rationalize it is that he just isn't able to do 
multiple uh, yeah, I voices that sound different enough. And the other voice actor was able to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Julian Dennison plays the other two uh, teenage clones mm-hmm. that are there. But yeah, Daniel Logan plays uh, Mox, which again, great to see him. Always fun to have him back in Star Wars. I maintain, I think I had some wild speculation last season about Omega and Boba Fett meeting up at some point. And I'd still like to leave it, it on the possible. table. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like the fact that Fennec Shand was in season one is like enough of a. It, that wasn't the wi- most wild speculation ever to yeah. bring up Boba Fett, right? Like they're the same age. They're the unaltered aging clones. Like yeah. it, 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 it's got to happen, happen at some point yeah. in Star Wars. Maybe not now, but it will. Maybe not now. Yeah. It will. Exactly. But I would love to see it now. Uh, so same. I know it's all already done, but you know. <laughs> If you're taking requests. (laughs) Like a DJ here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then they take him back to Papu, which. Which is so great. I I love Papu. It's just the best planet ever. Caitlin's so obsessed with Papu. I don't know how you can't be. I really don't. You you bring up Papu a lot. Like since Papu happened. (laughs) Do you remember when we went to Papu? Papu again. Papu. (laughs) We had sushi. We went out on a boat ride. We learned to fly. There's a, a museum tsunami there. Happened. Okay, but that was like Tech figured out how to – he put something in place there. So it's fine yeah. now. There's a museum. It's like – I don't know. It's great. <laughs> anyway, I hope they're very happy on Pabu and we get to see them again. I hope we get to see Pabu again. So I'm very excited uh, that they went there. And I love the idea that Hunter and Wrecker have found them a safe place to be because they are children. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they deserve. I, I love the quote at the end. Make your own path. Be something other than a soldier. And then they ask, what about you? And Hunter says, our mission is not over yet. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked a lot on this show about how the Bad Batch has really sought what it means to not be a soldier, what it means to move away from your identity as a clone who is owned by the Republic, right? And what does that mean to be your own individual person and all the complications that go with that? I think the show has done a really good job exploring that, even if it feels some at some points that we're hammering the same lesson home a lot of the way, a lot of the times. Yeah. But I think it's very, it's very necessary since there's thousands and thousands of these clones out there who don't know who they are after. And I think this show has done a really good job of answering the questions about what's the empire doing with the clones and what yeah. do people who don't know, like aren't, aren't, aren't relevant to the empire's plans. What, what happens to them then? Um, and I think they needed to answer the question, what happens to the teenage clones? Right. And here we have that. So I enjoyed that. And I enjoy the fact that they're on pa- Pabu. They're going to be safe there. They're going to be happy. They're going to be so happy. We know that. They're going to be great. Yeah. They're going to have a, a grand time. Yeah. Yeah. The Bad Batch, I think, really has done a good job of that macro and micro story of like the politics of what's happening with the clones and then the micro of where are our characters finding their purpose. And we saw this explored really with Echo last season and his choice to leave the Bad Batch and to go help Rex on their mission that's like more involved politically with what's going on. Um and then Hunter, of course, and the rest of the Bad Batch 
you know, before the loss of tech of deciding, oh, like maybe Pabu is a place where we can, you know, actually have a, a life and a home and that that could be their purpose and their source of happiness too. So, well, I'm excited to see what we come to at the end of this season with some of these things. I don't, I don't want to have the expectation that they'll be like the, the thread will be tied entirely, you know, because I think, you know, something like the politics of what's happening with the clones is a really big thing to kind of tie up in neatly in three seasons. And also I don't think that's reality too, when we're looking at something at that scale with what the empire is doing. Um, but then, you know, of course, like where all of our, our faves are going to end up and yeah. what they are pushing forward to on their next adventure and what that will be for them. I'm, I'm really interested to find out. I think we're going to get a happy ending. I'm just saying it. I think we're going to get a happy ending. Okay. There's going to be some sacrifice, of course, we've, in we've, Star Wars. We've already had that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to get another sacrifice. Gonna, there's going to be another sort of sacrifice, no. okay? There has to be stakes. Stakes have to be raised. They can't just have sushi all the time on Papa, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they can for, like, at least a year, right? <laughs> <laughs> they can. Becker will will eat the populate, the fish population out of ex- existence. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... There's, I, I just think we're leading to a happy ending, though. That's what you should take away from my statement. Okay. okay? All right. All right. I'm taking, I'm taking it and I'm running with it. it run with it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I feel like there's some random bits about episode three, Shadows of Tantis, directed by Stuart Lee, written by Matt Mitch Novetz, um, that we haven't talked about. That I just have some random thoughts, mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna fire them off. Okay. 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 Uh, the way that they collect <laughs> the blood from the top of the hand it- defies logic to me. <laughs> What are we doing? And why does it look like a stamp? It looks it looks like what? it would hurt a lot more than a regular. Yeah, she's, right. And she was like, it doesn't hurt. And then the first time Omega winces and then not again. And I'm like, girl, I'd be wincing every time. <laughs> Charlotte would be literally, quite literally passed out. <laughs> yeah, fully. I'm getting so much better at this. But yes, it, I, I would be. And I don't I just kind of don't understand what, how it works. Like, are we going for like the hand vein? Like, what's what is happening here? I don't know. OK, next one. I have a controversial opinion. Oh, I find no. Batcher cute sometimes, but not all the time. You should delete this. <laughs> I can't. And I think it's just because of the red bloodshot <laughs> eyes. Like, that's it. She's literally been tested on. And yeah, I you should delete this out of the notes um, because I feel the same way about Batcher <laughs> as I do about Sabine's Haller in Ahsoka. <laughs> that like what? What do you mean? Like what? We were we we spent so much time in the Ahsoka show talking about Howler and how he needed to be protected at all costs. No, he does. Uh, Batcher does need to be protected at all all costs. I'm really just talking about like design, okay? Because the red okay. it's the red bloodshot eyes that are get taking me out, and then also there's a shark situation <laughs> that's happening. I think with the 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 face it's almost like, like a mixture the, he has like a fin she a hound or she like a stegosaurus yes. <laughs> which great <laughs> i'm i'm positive on that it's the bloodshot eyes for me okay let me okay? ask you this question would you rather have as a pet batcher or buggles from resistance batcher yeah uh, i do 
Buggles is such a freaky, weird, fun design. Wild design. Wild. Wild design. <laughs> Which, remember we saw like Buggles puppies or like other Buggles in, in Bad Batch, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was great, but... Am I crazy or is Doug Chang the original designer of Buggles? Oh, I don't know, actually. I might be crazy but when the, I do. That might be so off. The thing about like the Howler and Batcher is like, I feel like I can be like, oh, yeah, Batcher is part Stegosaurus, part shark. Howler is Jay Filoni's dog wolf. and also a wolf, yeah. you know, and like a horse. Um, but Buggles, I have no idea. What, what is that? <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, Google. Google's your friend. <laughs> Google Buggles okay. Resistance. Let's move on from Batcher. I love Batcher. I need to say it. Okay. I love Batcher. <laughs> Batcher's great. Batcher, amazing character. I'm so glad there's a dog involved now. <laughs> right. And it's very cute that she named the dog Batcher. Batcher. Like, it's adorable. Okay. It's the eye part that I'm like, wow, they really went for it with like red pupils (laughs) or what is it called? Like around the whites of their eyes are. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Okay. Anyway, Nala Say, haven't talked enough about Nala Say. Um, Nala Say uh, in this episode is so great. I was really happy that she saved Omega and clearly has such a soft spot for Omega. But I do still think we're not seeing the full picture with her. And I'm scared for her life, honestly, at this point. Because it's clear that they think that now Omega's gone and I I think they're... I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to use... They've already used Omega as leverage for Nala Say to work on the project. Now Omega was there for a long time and no progress was made. And Omega was like right was the answer. So I guess if they bring Omega back, will she refuse to work on Omega at all and then be put to death? Like, I don't know. Oh, God. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. I think Nala say, I think she's, I think I've always kind of questioned where her love for Omega came from. And I think it's just like, I've been talking about Omega just gets you. <laughs> um, but I, I was really glad to see her and the role that she was playing in these episodes of like destroying Omega sample. And that definitely puts a target on her back. I think Hemlock even says in this episode, like that isn't that crazy that this whole time you've been testing Omega's blood and nothing happened. And then Emery does it and bada bing, bada boom, you know, like, what do you think about that now? say. So I think I'm definitely worried for her. I would, I would, she would be someone I would be surprised if she makes it out of the season unless she gets rescued by like Omega, honestly. Yeah, me too. But maybe she has been a through line through every season Mm -hmm. and Omega's life, like her mother figure in a lot of ways, like that's how she started. So I, I wonder maybe if in my thoughts about us having a happy ending like maybe maybe she does make it I don't know but I, I worry you saying that Nala say will also end up on Pabu can you picture that because I can't <laughs> so <laughs> I can picture all of them sitting at that table and Wrecker sitting right next Caitlin, to Nala you're just a, a Star Wars dinner you just wanted <laughs> to end in a Star Wars dinner it could, <laughs> with the sunset and they're eating sushi and Wrecker is like oh Nala say are you gonna are you gonna have that last sushi and everyone laughs, and then it ends. <laughs> That's the ending. That's the ending. Wrecker saying something to Nala say. <laughs> That's the last line of the Bad Batch. 
<laughs> a writer I am not, but <laughs> you gotta admit, it'd be kind of funny. It'd be kind of cute. Like obviously they'd have like a cute little conversation. Well, I hope there's just like 10 more minutes left in this <laughs> season. I don't need that to be the last line. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. We'll workshop it. Well, just continue to think about it. But yeah, I, I would like that. I just like actually can't picture <laughs> Nalise in any other clothes besides her like Camino clothes. Right. So. She's got like I don't know. A She's new... kind of an indoor gal. <laughs> so she... <laughs> she like doesn't know what sunshine is. Yeah. Anyway. Um, the last random thing is the lighting in all of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Just unbelievable. Unreal. Joel Aaron, round of applause, like it, it just keeps getting better. We are in an era, I just, it can't be overstated. We're in an era where lighting in movies and television shows is at its all-time worst. It's never looked worse out there, okay? <laughs> Things are not properly lit. The lighting is not evoking the mood that is necessary for the tone of television shows and movies these days. Things are looking so flat, so dull. Not in The Bad Batch. In The Bad Batch, we have Joel Aaron, who is perfectly workshopping these scenes to be evocative of old like new noir films in Hollywood and then also be I, I'm like at a loss for words because every time I'm like oh my god damn I just want to screenshot this like let's talk about this I think that you could do a mise-en-scene for every single shot mm-hmm. in this episode because the in this episode in these three episodes because the lighting just tells a whole story on its own. I think often about how George Lucas wanted Star Wars to be um, so visual that it, you could watch it as a silent, silent film. And I think that that spirit is carried into The Bad Batch in a lot of ways with the way that this uh, season is lit. It's just beautiful. It's lit, if you will. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that I said that. And that's the end of the episode. So. <laughs> 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 you made fun of my last line for the bad fact yep. no I'm gonna cut mine don't worry no. you have to keep it okay it's lit if you will if you will yeah I I fully agree I think he just he knocks it out of the park every time I feel like we're also seeing some examples of the matte paintings back in the Mm -hmm. Bad Batch which continue to just be stunning and yeah this is a gorgeous freaking show yeah uh, unreal yeah the Star Wars animation has never looked better than it has with Bad Batch um and yeah, I, I just I completely echo everything you said. He just completely knocks it out of the park every time. And we're so lucky mm-hmm. to have him working on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Do you have anything else to say, especially about Shadows of Tantus or these three episodes in general? I don't think so. I think I'm I'm really excited for you guys to see next week's episode. Um, episodes four and five are legitimately so good. You're going to mm-hmm. love them. I'm so that's going to be our next episode on Sky Talkers is going over episodes four and five. And I physically cannot wait to discuss these. I think the internet's going to have such a heyday with both of them. They're so good. So please look mm-hmm. forward to that. I, I know I am. 
But no, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're so excited to be covering Bad Batch again. I hope you guys are excited for our coverage and our new theme song, the new Sky Talkers theme song. Please let us know what you think about, about both, honestly. Um, but you can find us on Twitter, X at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin and Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, email, all good places to find us. And if you have a second and would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would really love it. It helps um, it helps other people find the show. And if you would like to screenshot that you're listening in real time to Sky Talkers and share it on your social media platform of choice and tag us, we would love to repost that as well. It kind of works as like word of mouth for the podcast and gets other people listening and joining in on the conversation with us. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there and how to get involved in our Discord community, which is honestly the place to be when new Star Wars is airing. And our Bad Batch channel is always a really fun place to be um, as, as the episodes are coming out. So definitely go and check out that if you're interested. Definitely. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Joey, Matza, Jackson, Lauren, Diana, Kelly, Susanna, Cherie, Sarah, Katie, Z, Bailey, Sam, Thomas, Suara, Stuart, Derek, Fifi, Suki, Shelby, John, and Jacqueline. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. (laughs) 